keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, Protecting the Buffalo Relations, we go to the Yellowstone National Park, which recently released a draft environmental impact statement for buffalo management, if implemented, would negatively and adversely impact 29 Native American nations with rights to the area and the larger ecosystem. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone through air in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny blows to the bar who drum. Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to Yellowstone National Park and the surrounding area where over 1,200 buffalo relations and lives have been taken in 2023 so far this year. The park in the region is where 29 Native American nations have rights to and Yellowstone National Park just released its draft environmental impact statement for buffalo management if implemented, would continue to adversely affect and reduce the number of buffalo relations throughout the region. Today on American Indian Airwaves, executive producer of American Indian Airwaves, Marcus Lopez, and myself have the honor and pleasure to speak with James Holt Sr. of the Nimapu or Nez Perce Nation, He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, which has been instrumental and at the forefront of protecting the Buffalo relations in Yellowstone National Park and throughout the region. We begin our interview with James Holt Sr. explaining in his own words, what is the Buffalo Field Campaign? So the Buffalo Field Campaign was founded in 1997. Uh, our, our mission is to stop the slaughter of Yellowstone buffalo at the behest of Montana and federal agencies to enact a more uh, appropriate management scheme for those wild populations. So we've uh, used uh, social media and public awareness and advocacy to uh, support our efforts, uh, calling for ecosystem-based uh, science Uh, similar to other wildlife in the Yellowstone ecosystem. Um, While doing so, you know, we support uh, tribal lifeways and um, their treaty rights in the region as we go about developing, you know, any solutions and the the frameworks necessary to appropriately manage wild buffalo. Yes, um, uh, Mr. Holt, thank you very much for joining American Indian Airways. From your organization, the Buffalo Phil Campaign, your, your latest newsletter, it was very significant in which we started with the Yellowstone Buffalo Management System and about how the arbitrary detention of wild buffalo 
within the artificial boundaries. So let's start with that. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, um, you know, the public is being led to believe that there is a wild, free-roaming herd of buffalo inside Yellowstone National Park. What they're not saying is free-roaming, in their interpretation, is merely walking from some, one side of the park back to the other. And if they leave that park, they're still um, harassed back inside or shot or shipped off to slaughter. So that was the, 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 the context of, of what the National Park Service had been doing to wild buffalo. We drew attention to that to say, hey, you know, these hazing operations are hurting the herds. The, you're focusing on females, which in turn is the clan mothers in a matriarchal system like there are. So they were literally uh, exterminating that um, ancient knowledge of the migratory patterns, migratory paths, the birthing grounds, the best foods, and where they are on the way um, in those migratory corridors. So, you know, it's disingenuous for those managing agencies to suggest that where we are today just spontaneously combusted into how it is when we literally watch them cripple clan units, smaller herds leading up to the great slaughters of like 2011 and 12, you know, taking just huge numbers from that central herd, which is still ailing to this day. So we know that the buffalo themselves need a better protections, a larger population to roam throughout their homeland and, and really truly help all those other species that are relying on them as the keystone species and, and to do their part for our future generations. And, and that's much further than the, the park boundary. There's uh, 8 million acres of available suitable habitat right now in and around that consists of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and that's more appropriate. There's only one place in this country right now, there's very few actually, landscapes that are large enough to uh, accommodate and maintain a large free-roaming herd of, of buffalo, and the Yellowstone is definitely one of those, and they should be respected and honored and managed as such. Mr. Holt, you talked about uh, the organization, the Buffalo Phil Campaign, and particularly call for the provision which calls for wild free roaming buffalo and this and this notion of this myth of the brucellosis disease and the cattle industry want you why don't you unpack that for us and for our listeners that myth and talk about that for us thank you yes so the the flat-out refusal of the state of Montana to provide for the natural migration of wild buffalo into the state is all predicated upon the brucellosis myth, as we refer to it, where the cattle industry asserts that there is um, a danger of wild bison transmitting the disease brucellosis to cattle. And we have to take that step back because it was over 100 years ago that those cattle brought brucellosis with them and gave it to wild buffalo populations. And what brucellosis does is it causes the female, uh, pregnant females to abort. Unlike cattle, wild buffalo 
have developed an immunity. So by their fourth year of motherhood, wild buffalo still carry, they will have almost 100% success rate of pregnancies, unlike cattle. But unlike cattle, there's not a vaccine against brucellosis, but there is for cattle that is very effective for them. Still, they place the impetus on buffalo. Still, they slaughter them and minimize their numbers when the few transmissions of brucellosis to cattle was tracked from elk that roam wherever they want to because they're such a huge uh, economical driver for the region with the uh, trophy tags. And so we can see all these politics at play influencing wild buffalo, which is our, our national mammal, which is such a revered and honored being uh, for the indigenous peoples in those buffalo nations. So there's just so much more that could be done. And, you know, it's begin that, you know, we have to have the true discussion of what, what exactly tribes themselves want versus the the barriers that are placed before us by the federal agencies, not wanting that full sovereignty, that full gambit of uh, possibilities out there on the table for us to consider as um, an appropriate bison management scheme is considered. Now, thank you for that. One of the items that you brought up uh, within the information you provided us was that in 20, uh, 2022, Yellowstone celebrated the largest herd of buffalo since the 1800s, but at the same time, 2023 in Montana decimated one third of it, and that is what you said is killing over 14,000 buffalo. Talk to us about the the uh, you mentioned about the Yellowstone, but about the ecosystem. Where are the buffalo? How are you doing the work? Because in the past discussions we had with you and with your all the volunteers and the terrific individuals you have your allies and whatnot that where are they what part of maybe the public don't understand about this yellowstone ecosystem what's so important about the buffalo as we as they're known as the bison but the buffalo and its relationship to the overall ecosystem please talk to us about that thank you you know i briefly mentioned earlier that uh Buffalo are a keystone species, and, and that directly translates to many, many benefits to many other species of plants, shrubs, the way they, the way they move across the landscape in, in short bursts, not stopping for too long as they feed. The buffalo can create a green wave of vegetation like spring, when spring brings new life. Buffalo, in the middle of the summer, can create a second spring, and they call it a green wave, by the way that they forage across the land. They, they knock seeds from the, the grasses as they go, and the way that the shape of their hooves um, digs those seeds down into the earth, and then they walk and they poop. They, they fertilize those, those grasses, so they, they can spread nourishment. They can... They can push grasses and, and vegetation back into the places it needs to be. They support so many other species that rely on those grasses, but also the, the voles and the mice, the, the predator birds that rely on them, the scavenger species that feed on the buffalo's body. We're talking about badgers, fishers, and many other uh, endangered species even and threatened. Mm -hmm. So 
the, the birds that rely on the, the fur and the bugs within the buffalo's um, hide are, are reliant upon them. So the apex predators right now in that same ecosystem, the, the federal agencies are justifying limiting the habitat of apex predators because of their existing fallacy of buffalo management and the, that missing food source. And so they're cutting the legs out from, from so many other wildlife species by the, the, the hard line they've drawn in the sand about um, the ecosystem and its health. Because we've known, if you remember in the news a few years ago, there were massive floods in the Yellowstone ecosystem, washing out bridges and, mm. and their main transportation artery going in and out of that northern park. So, you know, we know the impacts there on the land locally. We see the, the growing impacts of extreme weather events and climate change. And we, we're going to need these large landscapes. You know, we're going to need to protect them. And, and we've been doing that work on the ground. We've been working with local communities. We've been fostering communications and, and good intentions about building wildlife crossings as well as wildlife fencing to channel them, channeling wildlife to those um, migration corridors so that we can do our part. You know, the impetus is on human people to coexist with these wildlife species because no matter where we're at, we need those wildlife to do their, their sacred duty. They all know what they're supposed to be doing for the land and these other beings. And it is humans who choose to interrupt that or even at times seek to replace them in that food chain, like with the obliteration of wolves and trying to assume that role in the, in the ecosystem as we see the rise of diseases, chronic wasting disease, and so many other things that are now ha happening to our wildlife because of the lack of apex predators. Mm. So the health of, and well-being of our future generations depends upon these large landscapes and it's going to be species like the buffalo who are going to secure and sustain that that livelihood into the future it's what we do now that is so important for them james thank you for sharing uh, how important the ecosystem is not only for the buffalo relations but for all life throughout the region and we want to remind listeners that you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with James Holt, Senior Executive Director of the Buffalo Field Campaign. He's speaking on protecting the buffalo relations throughout the Yellowstone National Park and the surrounding areas. And now back to the interview here on American Indian Airwaves. Oftentimes people think of parks as... Um, kind of these wild open spaces but in reality there there are boundary places managed by the federal um, the National Park Service in this case um, but I was wondering if uh, you mentioned um, the the notion of free roaming and how that gets qualified by the federal government it makes me think of other terms that are uh, associated as part of maybe uh, the ideological shift by the Park Service, and that's this idea of co-stewardship and not co-management. And Hazara, maybe you could just unpack that further, because does it really, um, like what you were saying earlier, uh, create more obstacles to indigenous sovereignty and relationship to the the Buffalo Nation, or is it um, does it actually help foster 
a relationship to help protect the Buffalo relations? Co-stewardship, you know, and, and tribes assuming the leadership role, you know, we've seen that with many other species, you know, endangered species, such as the, the wolf being reintroduced in Idaho by the Nez Perce tribe, the reintroduction of coho and now removed and having um, catch and keep seasons by the states and their and their fishermen. Um, and now we're moving into the condor um, across broad landscapes here, even in the Hills Canyon, and Nez Perce is, is reintroducing condors to the Hills Canyon in Idaho. So we are very familiar with the ins and outs of federal law, the ins and outs of uh, science-based management, ecosystem-based management through all life cycles. You know, we understand all these concepts and principles. We've elevated our capacity so that we can look after those beings that we have the sacred relationship with. And I think in that context, we can then create that discussion in the Yellowstone for buffalo and other species, for grizzly bears, for wolves, or whatever that case may be in your local communities. You know, because they they try to put these shackles on us when it's convenient for them talking about the the geographic or political boundaries when over on this other side of the state boundary, on the other side of this mountain, the, the boundary was the habitat mm-hmm. and the power was science-based, you know. The, so we've seen these roadblocks being placed before this, before us because of the successes we had. And, you know, we all remember the the impetus behind those great buffalo slaughters of the 1870s and 80s. You know, it's not forgotten. You know, like we we can say, those 23 buffalo that were saved from extinction, those were a part of that central herd. They've never left their homeland. They know their migratory patterns. and, And for the Park Service to kill that off or strive to and then say that they've always just been where they are is not accurate and it's the disservice to the tribes who are trying to have an appropriate discussion you know because we we know that the importance of um the fort peck program and um using it to bolster tribal restoration efforts on their reservations and within their homelands we know how those things are benefiting them culturally um food food sovereignty and food security you know, the cultural lifeways that are rejuvenated and strengthened around the Buffalo Nation. You know, we know these things very well, but that that shouldn't be overlooked for the needs of the ecosystem, you know, and we're always, the Park Service is asserting these things as if it's a zero-sum game. Uh, we can only have one or the other. When that's relying then at the same time of looking to these uh, inter-tribal consortia, when when the inner the individual tribes themselves still must be afforded the right to look after their own people and their own homelands. You know, I could be discussing the Shoshone Bannock tribes who abut the western um, boundary of Yellowstone National Park. You know, and by the Park Service maintaining this failed structure, they're they're failing. You know, their trust responsibility of local tribes there that may want more than what they're saying they'll give within this new planning process. And so there's so much more to look at. We know that the ecosystem wants buffalo and needs buffalo. We know 
by the migrations that happen annually and the way the herds grow that they want to move back out there. It's literally the political want and the failure by the state to accommodate it. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the, the Department of Interior, the, the Forest Service, they must come together and, and really devise, you know, a federal solution. We've seen it in the salmon world, you know, where they've developed what's implemented the God Squad of that team of secretaries that can come together for endangered and threatened species to make make those hard decisions. But yet they failed to do so for Yellowstone Buffalo with the National Park Service going it alone. You know, a piecemeal approach to what should be holistic. We've advanced in science. We've advanced in knowledge. You know, the indigenous people have been waiting decades for this moment for Western science to catch up to us. And now they're finally here, and they're keeping us, holding us back from that ecosystem-based approach mm. that we know is must be implemented. Just by our historic and ancestral knowledge going back to time immemorial on what is right and what these species need. And most often, that's just for us to stay out of their way. Mm. You know, the, the coexistence impetus is on us, as I said earlier, we have that opportunity now to grow the discussion back up to where it must be, you know, for tribes to truly look out for buffalo in the wild, you know, maintain those wild characteristics. Not all buffalo are meant to live behind a fence. Not all beings are meant to live in captivity. Some must be kept wild. Some must be kept that ancestral knowledge that was given to them by creator. And so that, I think those are, are, are true facts and true statements and tribes are, are are beginning to get it. You know, they're beginning to step back from these federal processes to truly see um, from horizon to horizon rather than in the tunnel like the feds want us to see. And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is currently in fund drive mode and we need your help in financially supporting the work that KPFK and all its volunteer staff and programmers do. We are offering as thank you items Stephen Newcomb's book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, or the DVD based on the book, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. That is also a $100 thank you item. These are both remarkable and phenomenal uh, resources and understanding the settler colonial legacy that begins with religion, that begins with the papal bulls, legal texts that are used by colonial countries to self-legitimize the theft in taking and dispossession of indigenous people's lands. And you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery for $100, or you can pick up the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, also for $100. And you can pick them up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget and select those items there. Marcus? Yes, we want you to support, if you support us and our programming, to phone 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. And supporting not only the American Indian Airways, the wonderful program, 
we have here on KPFK. The also want to mention, Larry, that this book, Penguins in the Promised Land, is significant. If you are indigenous out there, talk about re-indigenizing or talk about decolonization, or if you are so allies out there that support all the different struggles that we have, interview the frontline fighters, and we want to continue the programming, please, uh, this is the this particular book and the uh, DVD is offering to you as a thank you uh, note from us to you. And this is for the people that are really in this struggle. This book is important because when I was in New York, Larry, you know, some of the leaders like Orrin Lyons or Chris Peters and whatnot, they were saying that if we knew this book 50 years ago, we won't have to go through all this rigmarole of what we went through. Not that they want to apologize, but this is a a book that explains it all. Larry. Marcus, we want to go back to our interview just to showcase and feature the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves. And if you appreciate the work that we do here on uh, American Indian Airwaves and KBFK in general, please pick up um, the book or the DVD for $100 each as a way to show your support. And Marcus, could you reintroduce our guest for the hour? Yes, the guest for the hour is Felicita Nunez and Katia Requejo. Both, um, you're talking about the Teatro Centro down San Diego, California, Centro Cultural, and as far as the panel discussion to celebrate the history of the Teatro Mestizo, Teatro de los Chicanas, and all that means the panel discussion. Really some 52 years of the the center in San Diego and by over there Chicano Park and all that goes with it, with it in order to explain, to articulate, and to showcase the phenomenal work that El Centro is doing there in San Diego. And Marcus, we want to take listeners back to the interview with the executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, James Holt Sr. of the Nimapu or Nez Perce Nation, who's speaking on protecting the buffalo relations in Yellowstone National Park and throughout the area and more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves and now back to the interview. Yeah, James Holt Sr., that is remarkable. You're you're articulating the position where a lot of the agencies are now recognized in the TIK, which is the traditional indigenous knowledge that you're expressing. You had in your one of your articles you said you said you're witnessing tribes stepping up, honoring the tenets of the inner tribal buffalo treaties. Um, we see that a lot of in in our commercial movies and, and whatnot literature that everybody romanticizes or play fiddle to the question of taking care of our, our rest of our, our, what we call native people call relatives, but all the other animals, the, the walking, the flying and the swimming relatives of ours. But why don't you explain to people what do you mean by and what's your view of this intertribal Buffalo Treaty and tribes stepping up? How are they doing that? Oh, great, great question, great question. You know, in the simplest form, every tribe 
that brings Buffalo home is is taking steps into that treaty. You know, because for too long we have been without these cultural lifeways. You know, I can think back to 2006 when the Nez Perce tribe first began their path back to the Yellowstone for treaty reserved hunting rights and and looking at the, how that looks now with eight tribes stepping forward, well over 50,000 tribal members with that treaty reserved right there. So things have grown, things have changed. But through it all is that that to Mulwit, you know, that sacred responsibility that Creator gave to indigenous peoples. That's how, you know, those of us on the plateau of the the Columbia Basin Plateau tribes feel and believe, you know, that you know, we have that sacred responsibility and so we speak for them and stand for them in all in all ways that we can and you know, it all comes back to those original teachings and those tenets allowing the the Buffalo Treaty to, to breathe life, you know, with, with tribes looking beyond the herd in the pasture, you know. I, I just talked to a, a friend of mine from over in um, Montana, and he was talking about how a few years ago they got a few buffalo, and now they have 28, and it has changed so much within their tribe and and it has pushed them now now that they've got this buffalo and it's on their fence and they know that it's never going to grow beyond that there so they've starting to look at ways to reintroduce buffalo to the public lands within their region and you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with the executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, James Holt Sr. from the Nimapu or Nez Pierce Nation on protecting the buffalo relations throughout the Yellowstone National Park region and within the park itself. And now back to the interview. You know, they're taking that next step now saying, okay, buffalo are back within a, in our lives. You know, we're we're practicing these ceremonies and, and honoring them, you know, as we were taught. Now we have to do more. Now we have to stand for them and bring them back into their home where they belong. So that was you know, just one tribe, let alone the Blackfeet Nation, who is just doing amazing things up there, releasing buffalo back into, um, you know, the reservation that abuts the Glacier National Park and other forests up there to, you know, consider it a free roaming herd and the reestablishment of the population there driven by indigenous peoples knowing where their habitat is you know so really utilizing our knowledge leveraging that sovereignty that we have today to 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 do what we know is right with the buffalo peoples is uh, an example another example of that would be um the current uh, announcement uh about the rehoming of the buffalo relations uh from Theodore Roosevelt National Park to certain indigenous treaty nations? Definitely. We're starting to see that um, all over. You know, and I even heard that there might have even been a, a tribal hunt in the Grand Canyon somewhere with a buffalo herd that's grown beyond its capacity. So, uh, you know, I get it. You know, some people, they don't want to see the pastures and the fences, you know, but like my... My brother from across the Bitterroots, across the Rocky Mountains, told me just the other day, you know, it's, it's got to start somewhere. 
Mm. And, you know, I think too often people are thinking tribes are are been finished when they get a herd. When, you know, I think what I was told is it's, it's only the beginning. And as more tribes begin to feel these life ways, they also will have, I hope, uh, visions and missions and programs and plans to to go take those next steps to begin furthering you know these life ways for for buffalo and you know hopefully develop areas where they can be free roaming beyond the pasture and and I know we've been talking about the National Park Service as a, as a part of the the federal government um, but I'm curious about. Uh, the U.S. Department of Interior, particularly uh, the Bison Working Group, and I was wondering maybe you could comment on that and what their uh, what this idea of the Bison Shared Stewardship Strategy Project is, and and um, and your thoughts about uh, this project. I think it has great intentions. Uh, what what they're trying to get at is is really good, but there again, it's all predicated on the the notion that buffalo will not be allowed mm. in, in the Yellowstone ecosystem, you know. So it's, it's very hard for me to to get my head wrapped around it when um, to participate in that program, you have to accept the conditions on the ground. Mm. And the conditions on the ground are that buffalo don't belong um, outside of Yellowstone National Park because, you know, they are, in many cases, the wellspring of buffalo restoration through um, reservations around the country through the Intertribal Buffalo Cooperative or Council, the Buffalo Council. Mm. So, you know, the the aims are great. And if you um, fit under that demographic where you have a, a small land base, finite um, pasture available, then I would say yes, that, um, you know, that that's the way to go, that, that kind of stewardship, utilizing... Um, those the various federal herds that they have on um, public lands as um, you know the the, fra- the foundation for tribal co stewardship is is good, mm. but um, but I think there are you know for me it all comes back to Yellowstone and yeah. and as far as we can see that is the the majority population that they would look to restore and, and drive that uh, Department of Interior program that um, you're referring to. And so, um, with the, the the fallacies within that existing um, draft environmental impact statement process and the alternatives that are outlined there, none of them are science based. None of them are ecosystem based. They're all politically driven, pre- um, built on the notion that um, the state of Montana is always going to be right. That buffalo don't belong in their state boundaries, and I, I just refuse to accept that. I mean, I think the Nespers tribe utilizing our sovereignty to restore wolves in Idaho when Idaho we've um, refused that leadership role is, is something to consider. You know, that tribes can step into the void and do it with enough science and technical expertise to do it right. And so we, we need to let go of those, um, you know, paradigms that are trying to be thrust upon us and really have the appropriate a dialogue that honors regional tribes, honors the ecosystem, and really places um, tribal expertise and that traditional knowledge back up to the forefront in the right way. 
And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with the executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, James Holt Sr. from the Nemapu or Nez Perce Nation. He's speaking on protecting the buffalo relations in Yellowstone National Park and throughout the area. We want to remind listeners that we are currently in fun drive mode and American Indian Airwaves is offering two thank you items for supporting the station here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. You can pick up the book Pagans in the Promised Land Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery for a $100 thank you item or the DVD The Doctrine of Discovery Unmasking the Domination Code directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. It's a $100 thank you item. Both the book and the documentary complement each other and they chronicle the beginnings of the rise of the role that religion plays in the papal bulls of the Vatican in dispossessing indigenous people's lands throughout Turtle Island. You can pick up the book or the DVD by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, each for $100. And now we want to play you a snippet of the Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, for a $100 thank you item here on American Indian Airwaves. Organic Laws. So when we take the history of these documents that I'm talking about, the papal documents, and they, we look at how they influence and inform U.S. law, then it's fascinating. There's a book from 1877 called Federal and State Constitutions, Colonial Charters, and Other Organic Laws of the United States. And in that book, it takes each and every one of the states existing in 1877. By the way, the book was published by the U.S. Government Printing Office. But it takes each of those states and it traces the originating documents back to their earliest origins. So in the case of Florida, as an example, the originating documents for the current state of Florida are the prerogatives granted to Columbus by the King and Queen of Spain in 1492 and the Papal Bull of 1493. Only in Latin, by the way. It's not even published in English in that book. And then when you trace that forward, what you find is that all of the states in the South and the Southwest, such as uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Idaho, sections of Idaho, they trace back to that same origin. Anywhere that the Spanish crown claimed rights of discovery and domination from the earliest times, that still continues to today. And the United States is considered to be the successor country to the prerogatives granted to Columbus and to the Papal Bull of 1493. So that's the actual organic law of the United States in those areas. But it is even more extensive than that because it turns out that because Spain had possession of what was called the Louisiana Purchase Territory, the Louisiana Colony, from the period of around 1763 until 1803, that Spanish Crown Law also is considered to be part of the organic law of the entire Louisiana Purchase Territory. And you're listening to a snippet 
of the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. It is one of two thank you items that are each $100 for supporting us here on KPFK. Again, you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, or and or the documentary, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, Each are $100, and you can pick them up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the pledge widget, and selecting those thank you items there. And we want to go back to our interview with James Holt Sr. from the Nimapu or Nez Perce Nation. He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, an organization since 1997 that has been working diligently hard to protect the Buffalo relations in the Yellowstone National Park and throughout the region. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, and now back to James Holt Sr., Executive Director of the Buffalo Field Campaign on Protecting the Buffalo Relations. Mr. Holt, you remind me of this uh, the notion, especially here in the coast of California, uh, that these agencies talk about cooperation, collaboration, coast stewardship. They don't talk about that. They talk about how they are above and beyond the indigenous rights, even treaty rights, and they ignore traditional indigenous knowledge. They want to quantify it. And you, you, you remind me of that so important about the Buffalo Pill campaign because you're doing something on the ground different than what they're doing, even scientists. Talking about when, there's, when the tribes are stepping up to their plate is about stepping up to their culture, stepping up to their belief systems, stepping up to spirituality. And that you mentioned and your article, which is, is just gravitated to me, it just pulled me in. I hope the listeners can, you know, be pulled in too. And then that's why we talk to you because you're doing important work that are important to all the, the human beings, you might say, and the people. And at the same time, we got to change our change our the way we look at it. And you say the tactic of government slaughter is morphing into a strategy of domestication. They want to domesticate everything they touch. Talk about that. What Have you seen that in play? And also within that, talk about how they, you know, this, um, this wildlife crossing near the West uh, Yellowstone area, the stretch of highway. So how does that impact the, the notion of, of not the strategy of domestication? Please talk about that. Yeah, Um that, that's that's great. You know, domestication and that process. You know, that that science is out there. We know what happens because we have, you know, centuries of of data to refer back to because of the species that have already been domesticated. And we're you know, before our very eyes, we're literally watching the wholesale domestication of a species, and tribes are are being forced into that bubble. When, as you said, you know, um, all this you know, built on them giving us sideboards that are well inside what they should be, forcing us into a smaller path, not allowing us to incorporate all the elements that um, truly encompass an ecosystem approach. When I was in uh, Washington, D.C. earlier this year, I, I went to the National Science Foundation and all these other technical bodies there, and I told them they have a trust responsibility to tribes 
And they looked at me and they said, well, we thought so too, but we couldn't figure out how. And I told them, you can't have co-stewardship based on existing management schemes, based on existing more or less colonial data sets. You know, we have to co-create science from the beginning, from its inception. So we come together as we're developing these ideas, and that's when you include tribes. That's how you get away from the status quo. That's how we ensure that it is holistic, that we are speaking for multi-species at one time because these, all these beings are important to us and we're not going to prioritize out. You know, I was once asked that um, when I was a young man on tribal council that I was told behind closed doors by a federal representative that eventually we would have to pick what salmon species we want to recover and protect because they can't do them all. And I and I balked at that, and I wouldn't I wouldn't give a a response because I I I knew that they were trying to take my word for it, and I wouldn't give it. And so, you know, for for the federal government to truly honor us, we have to be there from the beginning, and we can't allow them to put sideboards on us. So we have to have these these uh, public efforts. You know, this public advocacy is so important for tribes to educate um, their communities those uh, their neighbors because no one's going anywhere now that we all see that and you're listening to american indian airwaves we're speaking with james holt senior executive director of the buffalo field campaign on protecting the buffalo relations in yellowstone national park and throughout the region and now back to the interview you know those those detrimental impacts you know they they affect our neighbors too and now our neighbors are beginning to see that you know, without the tribes at the helm, they're always going to have a diminishing and a failing resource, you know, with fish advisories where you can't eat them or you can't fish them or the water's bad or you have bacteria that'll kill you or make you sick if you touch it. You know, we're, we face that everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's important for our tribes, you know, through these large decision-making bodies like the National Congress of American Indians and others, but also through our um, non-Indian friends and neighbors. You know, I think it's going to take us all. We're all none of us are moving. We're all where we're going to be. And um, we're all seeing the deterioration. We're all seeing the rising impacts that are negatively in, um, in influencing our lives. And, um, you know, we've we got to take that narrative back. Well, Mr. James, James Holt, you talked about the um, successes of the Buffalo Film Campaign. Talk about the successes. What do you look at um, the recent successes and share some of the some of the stories you have, like I, like you shared with us, some of the tribal groupings surrounded it, and young people come to you. Young people are coming to the realization that you're doing some terrific work. You know, they find you saying that, how can I help you through cultural means, through ceremonies, to approach and saying, you know what, our relatives, the buffalo, you know, our relatives, and how this can protect us, we can interface with us, we can be proud of who we are. Tell us, share some of those stories to us and our listeners. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that. You know, it's it's but that's been a slow, arduous process. You know, building that trust. You know, opening ourselves up. You know, to like the tribal community, to um, colleges and universities. You know, through trial and error at times, developing that experience to appropriately host young people and also tailor our messaging to them. You know to to give them those buzzwords and those phrases that 
that would push them, pull them off the bench, you know, give them, give them some passion. And, and we do that through story, you know, telling the story of the Buffalo is a, is a powerful story in itself, but you begin to tie in those, those, those life ways that we've experienced, you know, from the, the local hiking community to, to, um, you know, local hunters, to those who, um, do photography and video to those who support tribes and are literally involved with us because of uh, our support for those life ways, you know, and, and, and taking the criticism when tribes get a black eye for, for harvesting in some way or, or a life way gone left when it should have went right. You know, there's so many things that could go wrong on the landscape and, you know, we didn't allow the court of public opinion to sway us, but we choose to, um, show that uh, accurate narrative and have that data and science to back up what we're saying and what we're seeing so that it, it, it evolved into a trust that, that regardless of what we're saying, we're saying it as we see it as true. And, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's important for a lot of people. And, and, and bringing those few individuals to camp, you know, hosting them, taking them out into the field, seeing what tribes are doing in the, in the wintertime through the winter operations or going out in the spring and seeing those red dogs being born. You know, we've, we've told these stories and we've showed them to people and now they know what's at stake. You know, we've put faces, so to speak, lives in, out there and now they know, you know, what's being, what's being done when they say these buzzwords like, uh, you know, big calls and winter operations, you know, the, the, they know what that means when it's on the ground. And, um, you know, they're impassioned by it. And, and so I think any effective um, outreach, you, know, you have to speak to the young people in the next generation. You know, they are their leaders. They're the leaders of today. You know, quite often they're being told that they're the leaders of tomorrow. And my, my kids, you know, they will fire right back that, no, no, they're the leaders of now. And, and they have a voice too, and they should, they need to be heard. And I think, given that respect and appreciation for everybody's voice, you know, specifically that of those these younger peoples, um, is vital. You know, we're all in this together, and we have to give that knowledge to the next generation. So we have to want them genuinely appreciate their presence, you know, and, and give them the tools to have a voice, and at the same time, you know, hear that that historic and cultural knowledge that has to be passed on. Well, thank you, uh, James Holt. You also mentioned in this interview, you talked about, you seem excited, and I, I, I feel your excitement about this uh, Tribal Buffalo Summit launch. Talk to the listeners to our Southern California and our world audience about that. Oh, yes. Very exciting. Very exciting. We began shopping this idea around, you know, almost over a year ago, um, and the timing just didn't seem right. And then with the, the National Park Service's issue of this new planning process, you know, and its flaws, you know, we talked about hosting a, a tribal summit. And um, to have, you know, the, the, that pipe carrier um, from the Lakota people's Orville Looking Horse, you know, that uh, spiritual person, um, offer to lead us in ceremony if we brought tribes together that that was a, a powerful sign for us. You know, the, the time was right, so we began to develop it because we realized that with all the disparate things that we've been working on, we have developed that holistic understanding. We know what the threats are. 
to Buffalo. Those twelve, those twelve main threats. We know what they are. We know the signs to support them. We know. I know myself. Um, tribal sovereignty and tribal public policy enough to help with it, the experience to in, enact um, lead agency co-stewardship agreements. You know, we're doing the work with the local communities with wildlife crossings, protecting the transportation and municipal infrastructures so that we can, you know, protect the wildlife and the ecosystem. So they go hand in hand. So all together, you know, we're... Um, we're, we have this understanding. We have those decades of data that um, need to be showcased. So we have to tell the story to tribes. We have to give all this to them so they can make that informed decision. And I, I, I believe that once they get all these pieces together, they'll see that um, holistic ecosystem-based co-stewardship is, is, is possible and it should be implemented. And that um, by doing so, they only um, solidify and reinforce, you know, the outcomes that they want through the Fort Peck program and getting tribes on to reservations and for their own introductions. You know, that is bolstered by a greater population. You know, so having a, a, a larger sustainable um, populations that are protected with their, um, their distinct genetics you know, that's, that's the way to go. And then tribes will see that and see that we can build up the ecosystem in a way that provides for them all. And, and with that, I think they'll begin to utilize their sovereign voices, their um, treaty voices, you know, to, to speak to that holisticness and the, the path forward. And that was James Holt Sr. from the Nimapu or Nez Pierce Nation. He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign. He was speaking on protecting the Buffalo relations inside Yellowstone National Park as well as throughout the region. Yellowstone National Park and the surrounding areas is where 29 Native American nations have rights to the park and the region area. And he was speaking on the Yellowstone National Park Services and Draft Environmental Impact Statement for Buffalo Management, if implemented, would continue to harm and reduce the number of buffalo relations inside Yellowstone National Park and throughout the area. For more information on the work of the Buffalo Field Campaign, you can visit their website at buffalofieldcampaign.org. KPFK is 100% listener supported by listeners such as yourself and periodically KPFK uh, does have to ask you the listeners to help continue to financially support us in all the volunteer work that programmers and staff do here at KPFK. Here on American Indian Airwaves, we're offering two premium items or thank you items. They're each $100. First is the book. Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb. And second is the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. That, too, is a $100 thank you item. Both the book and the DVD complement each other, and they both help tell the story of how the Vatican's issuance of the papal bulls was used by settler colonial governments to legally justify the dispossession of indigenous people's lands. These doctrines are still cited today as foundation of federal Indian law, and both the book and the DVD each 
For $100, help tell that story. You can pick up the book or the DVD by calling 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735, or you can visit the kpfk.org website. Click on the pledge widget, select those premium items for $100 each, or you can choose from other premium items that are offered on the kpfk.org website. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests for the hour, James Holt Sr. from the Nimapu or Nez Pierce Nation. He's executive director of the Buffalo Field Campaign, which has been at the forefront of protecting the buffalo relations inside Yellowstone National Park and throughout the region. For more information on the Buffalo Field Campaign, you can go to their website, buffalofieldcampaign.org. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. You can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds, nor the hands that hold the chains. Silence is over.